This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to the PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. This episode, we are exploring how to create a thought leader. And I'm joined by the founder of the PR Hub, Samantha Dieback, to discuss the benefits and challenges of creating a thought leader, as well as what you need to consider if that is your goal. Welcome, Sam. Brooke, hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so one of the areas you really focus on with your clients, I imagine where relevant is building up the profile and the, um, I guess, the thought leadership of a person, whether it's the managing director or, or a relevant person within the company. How do you define a thought leader and what is the value in building up someone's profile? Yeah, it's a good question to start with. So, I mean, I guess what we do as a company is we work with entrepreneurs and business leaders to help them develop profiles or personal brands that we then leverage to promote the businesses that they're in. And part part of that is establishing credibility um, and trust in those people. And what follows from that is, is, I guess, you know, you can define it as being a thought leader. So what, you know, what does a thought, what is a thought leader? You know, it, we're all thought leaders in a way. Social media has made every one of us um, or given us the opportunity to be somebody who has an opinion. You just need to launch a social media account and start posting. Um, but from a business owner perspective, it's very much about defining what your expertise is and, and where you can add value in your industry or to a broader industry if you're an entrepreneur. And, and, and over time, you can build that into thought leadership and being known as a thought leader. And what value can having a thought leader add when it comes to a PR campaign? Yeah, it's, I, I like to go back to my very first job in marketing. Um, when I was at university, I worked for a company called NADS Hair Removal. Oh, yes, I do remember. Is that still, I, mean, I assume it's still going, but yes. Yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a startup back then. Um, mm. There was only four of us in the office. And it was very much around having that personal brand, that, that person whose story encapsulated what the company was about. And that's what people gravitated to. Now, over time, like I, I really don't think that she was perceived as a thought leader because we've moved forward in the PR industry. But it's very much about having, I guess, the person that we look to, that we trust. We don't necessarily just look at a product and buy a product. We buy an experience or we buy, buy a person. Um, so that thought leadership, you know, it, it's very important because it establishes the awareness, but it also establishes a connection and trust and and definitely we don't have news stories to tell or news announcements having somebody who can talk about their experience or talk to the news of the day and provide an opinion or a comment is really important and it is a conduit into the media um network isn't it i mean people need even if it's a very small story they 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 need content they need people that can provide a perspective or an opinion on it so it really helps a campaign or a brand add credibility like you said um and opportunity just it broadens those opportunities doesn't it Mm, yeah there's such a human element there and journalists are always looking for comment on particular topics so it's very much for us it's about establishing why our clients would talk on a particular topic so they have to have i guess a certain uh, a background or a body of work or the business that they're in that establishes that why that connection to why they may have a comment but absolutely it, it's so important and when you are approached by clients and they either may say i want to be this person i want to be you know a thought leader or a um um, I want to be the most well-known person in the fitness world or whatever it may be. Or alternatively, you look at them and say, oh, hang on a second, I might be able to do something with you that we can leverage this. What's your assessment process? How do you work out whether this person may have, um, it's not even the skills, I guess, but the attributes and the package to be able to succeed in that space? 
PR is very much, and you know this book, is very much about setting expectations, measuring expectations and setting them from the outset. And it's not uncommon to have had people come to us in the past by way of referral or seeing our clients in the press or on social media and say, I want to be like that person. And I have to say in the early years of my business, I was that very much, yep, we can do it, no problems. And then through trial and error and experience, I realized that it probably, I had to measure my own expectations and set the bar accordingly to where that person is. So very much when people come to us or we speak to them as a potential new client, we have to look at what they've done so far. We have to look at the business, where's the business at? Often these people have never really done anything as a thought leader or or put themselves out there in the media. So the job that we have is to measure those expectations and, and put sort of a platform together for them to say, hey, this is where you wanna be, this is where we're gonna start, and this is how we're going to get there over a certain time frame. And it's not a short amount of time. You can't be, you know, having a chat with you one week and then in two weeks time, you know, be across all the talk shows when, you know, something happens in that industry. It's a, it's a process of building this up, isn't it? Because you need that trust, especially if media, like you said, um, haven't necessarily come across that person before. Um, they're quite new in the industry. It doesn't matter how wonderful they are at speaking that awareness takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be wonderful if we could get everybody out there, but we'd, but our media channels would be flooded yeah. with thought leaders and uh, spokespeople as well. So yeah, it, it does take time and it's being realistic about those expectations. And I guess just on that, some of our most successful clients, not only has it taken time, but they really put in the effort as well. Mm. I mean, you talked about um, obviously having a body of um work and experience behind uh, behind a person that's something that you look at are there any qualities or attributes that makes someone a really successful thought leader i have to say most people that come to us because a lot of them are business owners um, their goal when they started their business was never to become famous or never to yeah. be a thought leader so our, our our process and i guess our style of, of pr if you like is very much about building personal brand and leveraging that to promote a business. So most people don't come to us with a body of work or as thought leaders. Occasionally we might get people who are more well-established in their industries. And so it's very much about growing that brand. But to start with, it's almost us speaking to them about why it's so important and you know making sure they understand it's not you have to be famous you have to have your face everywhere but it is important that we build up you know we take your expertise and experience and we and we showcase that to the world and and people can learn from that so when it comes to assessing um potential clients and working out whether they will have some value to add in terms of thought leadership how do you determine whether whether there is a niche and what that niche may be for them The question that I like to start with is why? So why are you a thought leader in that space? Because that's the first question you're gonna get from a journalist or a producer when you start pitching to them and saying, I wanna talk on this topic. So, you know, for me to go and start talking about, um, I don't know, the fashion industry, would be really silly because people would look at me and go, what would she know about the fashion industry? So we work with our clients to very much look at the why. So what industry are you in? What business are you in? Where have you had your experience to date? And then let's start to look at what's happening right now in in the media and make that strong connection between what you've done, what your experience is, and why you would have an opinion on that topic. Mm. And what value do you have to add to a situation? So if there's let's say it's the health industry, there may be four, five, 25 of you that all have been in the fitness industry for 25 years and have got your own businesses and have got fantastic clients. But what is your unique selling point that differentiates you that will be that hook that media will go, okay, um, 
that's the right person for that. And I guess it also comes back to um, you don't have to be everything for everyone. If you can just find something that really makes that person stand out, sure, you might not be the go-to for everything, but every time that topic comes up, you are the person they want to speak to. And the other 25 fitness thought leaders, you know, don't come to mind. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because then again, I guess it comes back to your own personal story. And that's where you can try and create that unique selling point because you are you. And so in and amongst those fitness fitness trainers or fitness business owners, what makes you special? Mm. Is anyone coachable when it comes to making them a thought leader? Absolutely. If yeah. they're willing if they're willing to give it a go. Mm. Uh, and I guess that's part of our process or checklist when we speak to potential new clients is sort of to establish the framework. And it does take some time. People are still weary. They're, they're worried about posting too much on LinkedIn or seeing their face in too many places. But at the same time, we've had some amazing uh, experience, well, not experience, but success with people who started out being very, very cautious. Mm. And then them getting to the stage where going, I actually like this. This is great. Like, you know, I, I do have opinions I can share and people are learning from them and you can convert them over time. But again, they have to have that willingness or that drive to give it a go. Are there any red flags that come up and you go, hmm. This is either A, you're going to take a lot of work or you don't necessarily have the right mindset. I mean, obviously motivation is a really key one. They need to be able to put the work in, like you said. But are there times or what would be the times that you go, I don't think this is going to be successful for you and for your brand and um, maybe this is not the best path to take? I think if you come back to what we were you were sort of saying earlier about you can't just be there in two weeks. Uh, again, there's sometimes people have an expectation that they are only suitable for certain high profile opportunities. And again, and again, <laughs> I come back to the examples of our best clients who've taken years to get there. Yeah. They were the ones that would respond to our emails quickly say, yep, how do I get involved? What do you need from me? Yep, let's do it. And over time, of course, we move away from some of those lower tier opportunities, but a definite red flag is somebody who thinks that they have to be very selective about the places where they appear, particularly in those early stages, because we are, you know, we, they come to us for our expertise. Mm. What is the general time frame? I mean, if someone does present to you as being um, experienced, they are well-spoken, they've got, they've, they've kind of got a lot of things tick for them. When do you think is an appropriate time, obviously depending on the sector and, and this podcast listened, you know, um, from around the world. So obviously different markets are very different, but what's an appropriate time frame? do you think to be able to get them to a point where you have established that they have a profile in the industry and they can, and they are then being called on on occasion to comment on things? We always like to spend the first month doing sort of a discovery strategy research process. And again, depending on where they're at, but if these are people who have great businesses, have already done a bit in the media or, you know, you have read about them before, it's generally a process where within that first three months, we can start to get them back into the media. We can start to raise their profile and elevate their profile again. And very much our job is to be reactive to news and proactive to news. So it's, it's and having the client also being quite responsive to us. So it's, it's definitely a process where the client also has to be involved but you know within those first two or three months we start to see traction it's great and I think you touched on a really important point there it's about being proactive and reactive so you can pitch columns and all things that present themselves as being well, they're not necessarily easy to secure but they're, they're obvious opportunities that you would you know so if you pitch them well you'd hope to be able to get into them but being reactive is so important whether you call it tent pegging or hijacking news or being reactive 
um, I think sometimes they're the opportunities to really be able to put your client forward because you can't predict them coming up. You can't predict something happening necessarily in the industry. So you've got to be mindful of what's going on in the news and being very aware, um, which means you've got to be on your toes the whole time, don't you? Mm, if you're in PR, you have to love the news. You, you really do have to live and breathe it and you have to be reading it and you have to be up to date with stuff. However you do that, that's, there's different ways you can do it. But yeah, I mean, I always say that to my team and, and my team, the best the best people in our team are the ones that are reading the news every day. And, and I guess understanding your client as well is really important because you can be reading the news every day, but if you don't actually get make that time to understand the strategy behind your clients, what's important to them, then you're not setting yourself up for success. When it comes to looking for opportunities um, from a proactive perspective, um, what how do you go about that? What do you? What's your assessment process of what those opportunities may look like? Uh, so I've actually become a really. Well, I've always been a fan of LinkedIn, mm, but I find too. increasingly <laughs> LinkedIn is somewhere where I'm encouraging my team, and I'm on there, you know, two or three times a day, just running through it, making the time five, ten minutes of my day just to go through it because there's a lot more opportunities on LinkedIn, even if it's just to see what's happening in the industry. So I use that a lot, and then. Yeah, reading reading the news sites. That's that's it. You've got to jump on. You've got to read the news sites. But if you're on LinkedIn and you're looking at it daily and connecting with the right people and the right organisations, you will get a lot of value out of that. And it's you know back to your point about um, absorbing news. You have to be across stuff. You have to be listening to the various um, AM and FM stations and understanding what those opportunities are and understand the kind of content that they're looking for in that particular segment on that particular show, which may be very different. Um, it, from the morning show and that may be very different between two or three different television opportunities so you have to have an acute understanding like anything when you're pitching you have to have an acute understanding of the content and the target audience to make sure that whatever you're pitching whether it's a person or whether it's a brand um, that it's the right fit mm, 100% in terms of other assets that you need to kind of assess and look at to make sure that well, I guess that's a question. Do they need to have a broader platform? Do they need to have a strong social media presence if they need to, if they're going to be successful as a thought leader? I think it depends on the person and the industry they're in. So I, I know I say it needs to be unique and authentic. So if a folks we're working with somebody and they really don't want to be on Instagram, then we're probably not going to recommend it. And we yeah. will do an assessment of their assets where they are because if they haven't used Twitter for three years, our advice is we'll kill the account. So it's, it's very much, you know, for some people, but then I, I guess the thing is, is if they're not prepared to be on certain platforms, then they also have to understand what opportunities they might be missing or what opportunities won't present themselves so easily versus a competitor in their industry who is prolific on Instagram and, and is using, you know, we've got Clubhouse now, um, but using yeah. those platforms to drive their profiles. And is that part of your assessment process in that first, you know, month or so is looking at who else are considered as opinion leaders in that industry and assessing, assessing um, what they're great, you know, they're kind of doing a SWOT analysis on them to have a real clear understanding of what that, what the opportunities may be for your particular client? Absolutely. I think it's very important to look at what the competitors are doing. I mean, I always like to ask the question when we're dealing with a new client, if, if, your, if your audience are not using your product or service or following you, where are they going? 
because often we'll speak to a new client and ask them who their competitors are and the answer is often no no one we don't have anyone no one's quite like us i know so I I've, had to, all the time. <laughs> I've had to restructure or reframe yeah. the, um, the dialogue around that because uh, you know people could go somewhere else it's like any of us in business there's always an alternative to what we offer so it's very very important to look at what they're doing and, and present that back to the client and say well this is what's happening this is what we could be doing how do you feel about it yeah um in terms of media training when they're actually fronting up and obviously if they're you know doing an email q a or something it's less important but if you're going to be putting them forward to radio interviews live tv live um how much media training do you do with them media training is very important and i have to give a shout out to shelly horton the lovely shelly yeah yes. so for those who are either not in australia or um, perhaps don't know of her in new south wales she is um, a journalist and has been around for you know um, a, a really long time and has got an amazing body of work and she does um, she does lots of media training courses doesn't she she does so she's got a company called shell shocked media and we have been working with them i've used shirley a number of times we use them for our clients as well um, for years and and that process that you go through is very much about defining what the client is about because you're right brooke you can't put them in front of a tv or a radio uh, interview and not have any experience because it just looks bad for everybody. So media training is really important. And I guess if people are investing in media training, my advice around that is to make sure that it's a very targeted type of media training, that it's not just a, a templated media training, but really whoever you're working with, make sure they take the time to understand what your brand is about, uh, what you're trying to achieve, even where you're planning to be in terms of media so that you can actually hone in that, that session and, and really focus on what's important. And what results do you as a business owner when you are using, you know, um, Shelley or if you're using, a, you know, another uh, media trainer, what results do you look at to go, yep, this person is ready for me to be able to put them in front of a, a live opportunity? Do you know, I don't know if anyone's ever 100% ready, but we, we film the sessions and so and we attend the sessions. And so, you know, we, we do a lot of role play and, and different types of interviews with them. And it's very much sort of making sure they feel comfortable because you don't want to put somebody into a live TV or a live radio interview where they're terrified and don't want to do it. So it's, it's kind of finding that comfort factor. So training is a really good way to do that because it does help them feel like they've done something, but it's also practice. So we just practice and then eventually it's like, you've got to do it. And you're probably going to make a couple of mistakes and you're going to look back and go, oh, I could have done this better. But overall, if you can look at it and, and feel proud and go, that was pretty good, then that's the right time to do it. Can you do too much personal profiling for someone? Is there a point where you are saturating them in the market? And if so, what's the right balance? Yeah, look, I don't think that you can. I think it really depends on that person. You know, I've got some fantastic clients who really take hold of their personal brands and they charge ahead all over social media and, and do lots of additional things to what we do with them. At the end of the day, it has to be genuine to that person because it comes through if they're trying to sell a message or say things or, or do things that make them feel uncomfortable then it doesn't look authentic to the audience so it's very much just about moving in a journey so you might start somewhere as a thought leader on particular topics and over time your business might change um, your expertise or experience your success gets bigger and greater and so naturally you gravitate to different things so it's just uh evolving on that journey i guess and the other thing i, I like liken it a bit to celebrities launching albums or doing tours they're not out there 12 months of the year flogging their profile and so that's the other thing I think is really important to remember that it sort of goes in ebbs and flows and I guess being able to identify when is the appropriate time of a year of a month of a of a, a trend and how to in, inject your um, your thought leader into that 
would yeah. be really important. What are the biggest challenges around developing a profile for someone? Starting with, I guess, their, their comfort level. Because as I said before, like our clients, they never really set out to be famous. They set out because they wanted to start a business. They were solving a problem. They were passionate about something. And then over time, you know, we would work with them and say, well, actually you should be building a personal brand. And that can take some, you know, some time to help them get adjusted to that. To put, you know, it does take effort. If you're going to be promoting a person, that person needs to be part of it. It's not a, a set and forget type thing. So that can be a really challenging thing. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess if you want to be in the media a lot and you want to be known for a thought leader and, and be commenting on news of the day, you have to be available. And that can be challenging when you're a business owner, when you're in a, a business that's growing really, really quickly and, and your time gets absorbed. Often PR can be the last thing that you think is important in your day. So, that, you know, that can be a challenge as well in and around keeping that profile going. Mm. And I guess something that I've touched on already, the challenge from the PR perspective in executing this is being so mindful of the opportunities and being reactive, you know, being across the news. That takes time and takes energy and you've got all these other clients you may be working on or if you're working in-house, you know, there's a number of other products and brands and campaigns, but you really just have to have your finger on the pulse constantly and that, that takes a lot of work. It sure does. Um, at the PR Hub, you offer a broader range of services of the outside. Um, this building up uh, profiles for spokespeople and thought leadership. But what made you really focus on this as being a niche that um, I guess I would assume it sounds like you're passionate about it. So what made you kind of make that a, uh, a professional choice to go down that path? I'd love to say it was well thought out. <laughs> so my background is not in PR. Mm-hmm. I've been involved in running businesses and sales and marketing and brand for a very long time and had worked with PRs, either you know in-house or um, in-agency. And for me, it was just something that came about based on where I was at in my life and what I was doing. And I was working with a former politician, Kerry Chigorowski, who was the leader of the Liberal Party in New South Wales. And in her government relations business, which I was working in, I was also managing her profile. So she's a media commentator, she's a board director, she's an ambassador, speaker. And from that, I decided I really loved what I was doing. And it, it's it's gone full circle because it's exactly what I was doing at NADS when I first started out in my career. And for me, it was just all about working with amazing, successful people, helping them develop what they were doing and, and helping them tell the stories because often people don't have time or they don't have the expertise in media or they, you know, they don't really feel comfortable promote, self-promoting. Um, so that's where it came from. And, and I guess then I started calling it a PR business. I'm not having worked in PR myself. Um, that's ballsy. <laughs> I, I think that's probably that's just characteristic of me is that it's a bit like the podcast that I started it's just I will do stuff because I'm like I'm determined to do it I have no idea what I'm doing I'll kind of pretend that I know what I'm doing until I actually work out how to do it really well and then hopefully it works out yeah and um you mentioned your podcast so tell us about your podcast was that um it, I believe it focused more on businesses and I guess um, shining a light on some really exceptional business people whether they are very well known in the industry or whether they're not necessarily well known industry but have some really fascinating stories is that right Mm, yeah the podcast was born out of uh, part fear for actually being on a podcast that was my own fear but also because our clients were doing a lot of podcasts that other people hosted and I one day I just went why don't we start our own podcast we keep getting asked for our clients to do podcasts we really need one so that's Influence Unlocked, which is what we called it, uh, was born from that. But again, it was also a personal development thing for me because I was terrified. I was always the publicist 
and never the guest. And I wanted to change that just to, again, just to prove that I could do something new and host some of our amazing clients. Um, it's, it's a podcast about going beyond the press release. So essentially we talk to industry leaders, whether it's sports, politics, media, business, um, tech. We speak to a wide range of people just to understand, I guess, what goes into what they've achieved because you know what it's like in PR. You see the stories when people are multimillionaires and they've had glorious success, but you don't actually see all the crap and all the hardship that went before it to get where they are. Uh, you and I both know very well um, that podcasts are very, very time-consuming to create and to manage and to edit and produce and all the other aspects that go with it. When it comes to personal profiles, I imagine podcasts, just like we've talked about, are a great additional asset for people to either utilise for their business or for themselves. I'd podcast what you recommend for your clients. Yeah, look, it's definitely part of the mix. It's, it's a growing part of the mix. There's so many, you know, podcasts are launching all the time and more and more people are listening to podcasts. Um, it, it comes back to, you know, that time, as you said, they are very time in intensive. They can be, you know, costly to produce, but also costly to, you know, promote afterwards. So it's, it's again, it's saying, well, what sort of time have the clients got? What what um, messages have they got? What do they want to achieve with it? We do recommend it to our to some of our clients who we think there's, there's a purpose for it. I, you know, I mean, for me, it was never a thing about personal branding, but obviously, you know, I'm the host. So an element of that is personal brand or, or, or promoting a personal profile um, which has been great but ultimately I'm doing it because it's a good thing to showcase our guests and a good thing to showcase what we do as a business mm, and I think if you are a business and you're thinking about doing it you really have to think about the ROI so yes mm. you can outsource the actual production of it and there's you know plenty of companies and people that can manage that for you um, but someone does have to think about the question someone does have to do the interview you do have to find somebody else to do an interview with um, so at the very bare minimum, they're going to have to be present and across the topic well enough to be able to facilitate hopefully what is an engaging conversation. So um, I think it really does come back to is this the best use of this person's time? If they're spending an hour, hour and a half at the absolute minimum conducting an interview and doing some research on that topic, could that hour be better spent elsewhere in the business that's going to you know help achieve whatever goals they may be? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It comes back to what's, you know, what, what are your business objectives and where is that the best thing to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your insight with me today, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For those listening who are PR and communication students, recent grads, or in the first few years of your careers, make sure you do check out the PR Pod Facebook group. There's more practical tips and guidance on navigating the PR industry within that. Just head to the PR website and you'll find a link to it there. Thanks for listening to the PR Pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.